0: My very dear Sir Richard. Damnable! I once again, three days ago, immersed myself, most unfortunately, and this time, coupled with the drenching, were the simultaneous shocks of a blow to the head by some ship's part, a balustrade or a miffin, I think, they said, and an outrageous attack by a lurking poltroon of a jellyfish, if one can believe it. Most disappointingly, in the confusion and amidst the excess of attention paid to me by the captain and crew following the plunge, I did not get the creature's name nor come close to the ghost of a chance at a sample. Indeed, I got only a perfectly survivable contusion, a complete soaking, a lashing sting on the side of my neck and the usual comforting gestures from the rescuing crew who pity me as much as they admire my medical skill. It is all to the good that they dote on me, the creatures. There's been a great comfort to me at sea. I suspect it arises from their superstitious reverence for such skill as I have as a surgeon, even though I must confess that a trephanation to correct an intracranial hematoma while on board ship was no small feat. The older hands aboard remember it well, and the newer ascribe to me some magical ability... These waters contain flotillas of Phaselia phazalis. although if he had been the culprit, <laughs> speaking of ghosts, this letter to you would have been more likely delivered via a medium than by the West Indies packet, which is my hope. Captain Warner expects to rendezvous with her tomorrow evening at the latest. Warner. Now, there's a puzzle... Never in my life have I met a man so fully in command of his profession, say perhaps Declan O'Malley, whose skill as a farrier was legendary, but the scope of whose métier was so much more limited than the current case. No, Warner simply stands above other men, literally and figuratively. And I confess to belief that the former is a clear cause for the latter. Must remember to read Franz Josef Gaul on Height. (coughs) <coughs> ..height, yes, and authority, yes. He's a tall man and bluff and confident, our captain. And I am pleased that such friendship is as possible on a man of war between captain and any member of the crew exists, between him and me. In addition to the pleasures of conversation and confidence, our friendship provides a certain and very necessary hedge against the loneliness that one might expect when so far from land for so long. My observations generally on this point are such that those sailors who become morose and laggardly at sea and who thus draw the lash or even the enmity of their peers are those who share the least common cause and camaraderie with their fellows. In addition to the physical requirements of the sailing life, it seems that the herd mentality is called for to enable the safe and happy function of the ship. Uh. Naturally, Sir Richard, I have employed the latest code, although I fear it outdated. We having labored some time against the contrary tides and wind in the channel before making the crossing on a favourable trade wind to this point, some degrees west of Madeira, as I am persuaded. There was a further delay, as is described in the captain's report, which is now en route to the Admiralty aboard the captured sloop Clare. "'We had a most ferocious action at sunrise two days ago. "'The enemy's sails strung out on the horizon like immense windmills. "'But as I was informed from my position beside Warner on the quarterdeck, "'the line was most horribly out. "'And due to vagaries of wind and current, "'there was little hope that any should be able to come to the aid of any other, "'provided the captain chose his targets in the right order.' And like a tournament, it was an unlikely chance he took, completely unperturbed by the size and lofty cloth of the enemy. But he set his lance, as it were, and tilted and won the day. Four prizes in all, and four of his officers and trusted men of the crew departed with messages for home and the prize caught as we journey on. Naturally, once the firing started, I was cosseted away for the succession of battles in the Orlop, accompanied by Liam, my larblally boy, and by those wounded who were hoisted roughly down the companion ways or who were able to make their way below under their own failing power. The first a broken ankle from an insufficiently nimble gunner who failed to escape the recoil of an 18-pounder. Thereafter, splinters dislodged by the enemy's round shots, striking masts, rails and yards, a variety of punctures, bruises and open wounds. And finally, the gruesome butchery suffered by the boarding parties before the enemy realised their defeat. Of particular interest from a natural philosophy or medical standpoint... ...has been the peculiar effects of my concussion... ...which forms no small part of the reason for this report to you. The blow to my head has been most extraordinary... ...for I awoke from the daze after a few minutes... ...the crew's adoration and mother hen fretting... ...immediately clawing and unpleasant to my senses... ...which had seemingly become so charged with sensitivity... But it came to seem enhanced, as it were. Among other curious effects, I seem to have forgotten how to play the cello. We sat last night, Captain Warner and I, to continue working the Boccherini sonata we'd begun so well Sunday night, and I found I could produce no credible sound at all. For his part, he limped along, as always, confident, where it was not fully warranted, bluffing his way through the more delicate passages. While I myself fumbled with the strings, as though my digits retained the stiffness imparted by their cruel treatment at the hands of the French so many years ago. A fate from which you rescued me, Sir Richard, and for which I am forever grateful. Yet another reason for this letter to you. I owe it to him, I think. More curiously still, I find that I've been endowed with a very sudden and seemingly comprehensive knowledge of marine vocabulary. How many voyages have I had explained to me the particular start and end points of the photic shrouds? Or the foretopness sheets? I've seen sheet at home the stun sails aloft and alone, even to the cardinal points at sea of fore and aft, larboard. Starboard. Why, just this morning, over coffee, the formerly abstruse concept of sailing on a bowline emerged whole and clear in my mind. Why, it is the very fine thing of the world, so it is. But of greatest importance, and grieves me to speak of it, was my newfound perception of the many gross slights to which I've been subjected these many years by that bull of a man, Warner. You will believe me when I illuminate by example his constant reference to me as the lesser of two weevils, or his loud repetition of my confused reference to the origin of the term dog-watch, that they are called so because in their brevity compared to the sailors' other periods of duty, they are curtailed, or... Well, I could go on. The knowledge of these insults to... Manifested itself most curiously from the medical perspective. It was during our clumsy attempts at the Boccherini that a stray remark from the captain caused me to pause. And flooding in came the memories of those undignified haulings through the lubber's hole, or the meaningful looks to the boatswain and his mates each time I disembark or embark from the barge or the pinnace. In retrospect, these revealed themselves as mocking glances. Not meant for my eyes or comprehension. I was attempting to fumble my way through one of the more delicate movements and failing when Warner said, perhaps attempting to be solicitous, but instead positively oozing patronage, uh, With the delicacy of your condition, after your fall, I fear that you are suffering, James. I should suggest the Corelli as a substitute for the Boccherini, but alas, we have no second fiddle. Second fiddle, do you see, Sir Richard? Second fiddle. Fie on his second fiddle. I can put two and two together. Of course, I'm no hand with mathematics, preferring the calculation of personal motivation to the cold facts of theoretical numbers, but here, too, I am astounded at Warner's facility. This is especially evident in the arcane feats of navigation he performs... Scowling at the moon over a very sextant, observing the elevation of the sun at noontime with the mids, scribbling on his log books, making a few hash marks on foolscap before setting the topgallant sail a few degrees athwart. Almost a seagoing witchcraft, which he pronounces elementary when I marvel at the appearance of some landmark at the predicted time. Elementary indeed, but I am learning. But of course, Sir Richard, I do not mean to take your time with the now mundane account of ship's life at sea. I write with an intelligence report. Now, to the matter. The bare fact is that I shall mutiny. By the time you read this, His Majesty's Ship Goodenough shall be under my command and no longer beholden to England. It's my turn. Sometimes the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. This be one of those times. To that end, I have suborned a certain set of the ship's men, able seamen and a few of the pressed landsmen who never recovered from their resentment nor found friends easily on board. They have promised my share of such prizes as are already in hand and fair sharing out of the new wealth we shall pursue. My massive loblolly boy, Liam, shall see to my personal safety. His many voyages have I cultivated his affection, and his strength and attentiveness to my comfort are unbounded. I write to tell you, sir, because of the great kindness you have shown me, and because of what I assume to be mutual respect between us, it should not seem just for me to abruptly sever relations and further to burden you professionally with a mystery regarding a naval expedition. It is not the Captain I detest, but his authority and that from which his own flows. Oh, ah, that's good. It is not Captain Warner himself that I buys, but his authority, and that from whence his flows. England. His authority, bestowed by that king whose government oppresses my own lands, and for whom I serve only because the emperor be worse. Tyranny and oppression are twins, but sometimes twins differ. When France's revolution turned from liberty to oppression, I abjured it, thinking England's yoke moderated by its deliberative bodies, but I can shoulder it no more. I could, of course, resign my commission and depart under my own sail, as it were, at next landfall, and so I would forsooth. But these new abilities of mind, occasioned by my injury and possibly by some unseen mechanism of the jellyfish's injection, call me to greater heights. I am imbued with new purpose. I am determined to lead. Thus the captain will not be harmed unless he resists. He is my particular friend, after all will be put in his barge, with ample supplies of sailcloth, rope, water and foodstuffs, with his steward and such officers as refuse to join the new regime. That he live long and prosper, I dearly hope. But his authority I cannot, in conscience, abide longer. This I must do, albeit in friendship. And so it falls to me to the command of his majesty's former ship, the gooder Good No and re-christen her in the manner of my choosing. And I too must change. I shall miss the navy and the royal academy, but I shall not miss the king, and I shall not miss that damned captain. No more second fiddle. I am no longer James, Sir Richard. Forget that name. I beg you. And fear me by my new moniker. Ah. That be the cries of the ship, ahoy. That will be the packet into whose care I trust this carefully coded scrap. My doom, if I do not make good my plan, but make good I shall, tomorrow at first light. Among those few things I shall miss, Sir Richard, is the company of your educated man such as yourself. But duty, a ship of my own, and a crew of stout ruffians to sail her, calls. The packet ahoy! The last boat who'll not feel the weight of iron from the free ship. Um. Brucio, your jellyfish. So I remained, your newly promoted captain, and sworn enemy to the crown hereafter. Black Jack Abeniac, Terror of the Sea! Getting On with James Urbaniak, Episode 24 Abaft the Beam, was written by Bill Bray and performed by James Urbaniak. It was produced by James Urbaniak and Dustin Marshall. This program is part of the Feral Audio Network. Visit feralaudio.com for prior episodes and other podcasts.